0: Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan on News Talk.
1: Brought
2: to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. I want to talk about um, mandatory sentencing and whether or not it is a deterrent and a way to tackle crime. And we're chatting about this because a lot of discussion this week, earlier this week, about the sentencing in a case. It was a teenager, spare jail. He was involved in an attack that resulted in a woman having boiling water poured over her. And we're not not necessarily chatting about that case, but just in general, I want to hear your views on mandatory sentencing and whether or not you think um, it is a deterrent is it something we should have in much more instances? Take a listen, though, to Molly Joyce. Molly is the Acting Executive Director of the Irish Penal Reform Trust. She was chatting on News Talk Breakfast this morning, and she actually questions the merit of mandatory sentencing
1: mandatory sentences would seek to apply the exact same sentence to all
3: people who are accused of the same or convicted of the same crime and with that comes the potential for injustice because essentially it removes the ability and the discretion of a judge to take into account the individual circumstances of an offence and the individual circumstances of the person who has been convicted of that offence and it essentially goes against the principle of proportionality which is a cornerstone of our kind of justice system and of our sentencing system And, and in that way we'd be very opposed to it and I I guess the other important thing to, to note is that there's little to no evidence that mandatory sentencing actually acts as a deterrent and um, to people committing crime or to people recommitting crime in the future.
2: OK, so that's Molly Joyce from the Irish Penal Reform Trust. Ruth Maxwell is a victim's advocate and Ruth is with me on the programme today. Ruth, how do you feel about mandatory sentencing?
3: Um... I do understand what Molly said, you know, mandatory sentencing Mm -hmm. is really a guideline for judges. But even, you know, in some particular cases, it should be the maximum that would be put in place. Like, because then you'll have other offenders who will fall through that gap, that there was no area where they could have given the maximum sentence. Like when you take my case, he would have initially been sentenced to 11 years. And he fought that and that came down to eight years. So then his custodial sentence would have only been six and a half years. Now that was argued over the basis that the knife crime was only up to five year sentencing. So they had gone over in the false imprisonment area. So that was that's why that was one. Whereas if there had have been like a mandatory sentence of 10 years for knife crime, he would have served more time. Now, okay, collectively overall with all of the five cases, he's now the longest serving prisoner in the Republic. But when you break it down, and then again, when you break down the actual custodial sentence, which is what they'd serve in prison, it's still again, very different. Mm. So. It's like a, a sentencing lottery for victims and it can be disheartening and deflating, you know.
2: Can it, I'm just trying to think, Ruth, in, in, in your instance, and I know I've, I've talked to you before um, about your story and, and your experience and what happened. But when you're the victim and, you know, you're, you're going through... Any case, you know, you've you've gone to the guards, the DPP's been involved. You're going through the court process. There's a conviction. You're going in for you know you're going in for the sentencing day and and all. I like, can like I can't imagine what must, you must be going through and other victims go through and you're going through the emotional turmoil and reliving the whole experience of that. But. If, if, in the case where you do have, we'll say, like, you know, life sentence or other sentences that have been since brought in, the kind of around um, endangerment of life or possession of firearms and stuff like this, if, if there is a mandatory sentence, we'll say for whatever the conviction is of 10 years and... Other factors are taken into account and mitigating factors and all of that. And we'll say that, you know, the person convicted of the crime eh, receives a seven and a half year sentence with six months suspended or something. So we're down to about seven years. How do you feel as the victim when you hear that? That the person who, you know, affected you, committed the crime against you, like, does it lessen your, your experience that they didn't get the whole sentence?
3: Well it's it's trying to weigh a balance up between going through the whole system and how exhausted you are after it and then you're completely and utterly deflated when you realise the actual custodial sentence at the end because you're not told that immediately, you don't know and then also you don't know how much time they're going to get off for good behaviour so you will never actually know their, their release date. So. It's it's really, really difficult. Like, really, you should be so well educated on sentencing guidelines. Is it at the beginning when you're dealing with the detectives? But I'm not exactly sure where you should be told. But you definitely should. You really, really should because it's so important.
2: When you listen to Molly Joyce there and, and you read any of the experts and they say they're, you know, they're they're not in favour of mandatory sentencing. Um how do you feel well, about What those? are
3: they in favour of then? You know, you have people who are defiant in the face of the courts because they've been given suspended sentences. They're, they're really unaffected. Like, if that was the case, why aren't there mandatory community programmes if they receive a suspended sentence that they have to participate in? And then again, with sex offenders, why aren't there mandatory sex offender programmes? You know, if if they're not going to obviously implement harsher deterrence through mandatory sentences well why then don't they shift it more towards the community with all these mandatory programs electronic tagging system you know they've they've got to balance it out so that there is some kind of proper punishment even with suspended sentences.
2: Okay. Stay with me Ruth, if you don't mind. Um, Nolene Blackwell is the the CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Actually, if you're listening to this and you've been the victim of a crime or you're just in in general, you have an opinion on this and and you want to get in touch with us. 53106 is uh, the text line number today. Nolene, do you think mandatory sentencing would be a deterrent? So I, I, can I just say, first of all, that uh, Ruth
1: Maxwell is one of the most articulate victims, advocates I've ever mm. had the honour of meeting in my life, or indeed that I've ever heard. And an awful lot of what she's saying there makes a whole heap of sense. And Ruth mentioned mandatory sentences and maximum sentences. And the fact that, for instance, in her case, the maximum sentence that could be imposed was a five-year sentence and so so that was kind of the headline that the judge had to work from. Now that was the kind of case that I I heard the the acting Minister for Justice say as late as yesterday that they're about to double the sentence that's available to a judge in those cases from five years to ten years where you have an assault causing harm as happened in Ruth's case. So in that way the maximum sentence is also a big question. But a mandatory sentence is where you are convicted of a crime. If I am convicted of a crime with a mandatory sentence, there's only one sentence available to the judge. And so that is the only mandatory sentence we really have in Ireland. is for murder. If I'm convicted of murder, I have to be given a life sentence. No questions asked about it. and 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 there are other um types of crime, mainly around drugs and firearms, as you mentioned mm. andrea that where there's kind of a recommended sentence presumptive sentences those, those are where the law sets out before the case happens at all what the sentence is to be and to take up the the theme that Molly Joyce mentioned earlier this morning. The Law Reform Commission, which is the state's think tank about l- legal matters, looked at this a good while ago, looked at it across the world, and as Molly said, it showed that actually it is not, it's not an effective way of stopping people committing crimes. And they found something else as well, and that is that actually there can be a reluctance of a jury to convict someone of a crime If a count can't be taken of the person's, I don't know, disability or their um, drug addiction or the fact that it was their first defence or whatever, you know, so we have a system here in Ireland which has a lot of flaws in it and I want to talk about, I would say, mandatory sentencing. Is the least, is, is, is not the best answer for us to be going for right now. In fact, I'd be going more to what Ruth was talking about there, which is guidelines. Mm. And what she was saying was that what she would have liked to know at an early, I don't, I'm never going to paraphrase Ruth, but, but this is certainly the experience of those we come in contact with when we support people going into the court system and when we're with them through the court process. What they want to know is what is the consequence if this person is brought to court and convicted of this crime. And in my area of work, where I'm working with those who have experienced sexual offences, mm. it's a really important question because the reality is that most people charged with sexual offences know that so the accused knows the person who makes the complaint, and very often they're in a relationship with each other. So it's really important for them to know at the start what, um? What is the person likely to be to if they're convicted? Yeah. What is the likely punishment going to be? And, and the trouble with our system in Ireland is that there is a terribly small, a too much, much too little information available okay. about so, sentencing in general. So
2: how how do we how do we um have a better level of awareness, Ruth? Around that, because like naturally, look for most people, you know, you're 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 not going to be aware of um, sentencing, you know, guidelines, what somebody's liable to get, un- unless you've really gone through the system. So, when is the appropriate time to, to talk to to victims and to people about that?
3: I would say maybe around the time for you're just doing up your statement that. You know, when you're then brought to the court and you're given the tour of the courtroom and the support services and stuff, I really think that somebody should sit down and give you clarity. But even then, like, you're still so traumatised at that stage. You don't fully understand it. Well, I didn't, and I certainly didn't afterwards either because I, I ended up, you know, hearing everything through the media because I know the detectives were very busy at the time. I was actually in the hospital having another surgery on the day of sentencing. So, you know, it kind of came out in drips and drabs. But even then, I didn't find out until last year that the 11 years was for my particular case and that it was reduced down and so forth. So I still had no idea. Now, even at this stage, his release date is uh, 2040-something. But you still will not know when he'll be released because there is, again... All that good behaviour and so forth. So, can you ever be actually told? Mm. And then it's it's you know the discretion of the judge as well. So, I don't. Maybe Nolan could answer that one. Nolan, you're there still there?
1: I am. So, so it is exactly. So, so first of all, that we should have, and in fact, we have law that says that this can be done now. That the Judicial Council could set up sentencing information and sentencing guidelines, but but in order to do that they will first of all have to collect much better evidence from what goes on in our courts because sentencing is so dependent on the discretion of the judge. The way it works for us as as I'm sure most people know is that when someone is convicted of a crime, there's a range of sentences available mm. to the judge. Uh, and it, within that range they have to take into account the the severity of the offence, its its impact on the victim. And then they have to take into account matters that might reduce the 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 punishment for the person who's convicted such as had they ever done something like this before and um, did they have some form of uh, an intellectual disability, did they have, um, uh, you know, did, was there were they um, in, in addiction for something or other. So those things can be taken into account. But the reality is that going into that court, when we're working with somebody, or when a lawyer or a guard or is working with somebody, or victim support service, they really have to say to people here's an indication of the range of sentences, mm-hmm. but we really won't know until we see the court on the day and the judge wh- what is going to what okay. is going to to come next, and that is that's far too vague to 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 ensure that the victims' rights are protected in this process and this is where we are short of some. So I would just think that if we put effort into that so that expectations could be managed, so that people knew that this was the range of sentencing and that in this case it was likely to be at the top end of the range or at the bottom, that would be good. In mm. fact there's been a court case uh, around rape a few years ago where the Supreme Court actually set that out. And while it's still in legalese, it's actually in easy to read legalese where the court says um, a suspended sentence for rape is almost never justified. Never justified. Okay. So you could appeal okay. it if somebody gave. So, so, so and they l- say um, a sentence could be seven that? years and with other factors could be more.
2: Can I just bring in as well, I've got Christy, I think is on the line as well. Um, Christy, you've been listening to both Ruth and uh, and Nolene there. Do you think that the sentencing system, do you think mandatory sentencing would work as a deterrent?
0: Well, in relation to murder and which is, has mandatory sentence, um, I think I don't know if it's, it acts as a deterrent because people then can uh, look for parole after 12 years, and and uh, you know most people will serve a minimum of 20 years or more before they're they're released from prison. You know.
2: So but, I should say, Christy, sorry, you're a former guard, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I all, yeah, And and while there has been a lot of research done both primarily in America in relation to mandatory sentencing. I think sentencing guidelines are are the way forward in relation to the new Judicial Council Act of 2019 and the Parole Act of 2019 that came in to play. Uh, I think we need sentencing guidelines. And over the years between the Court of Criminal Appeal and the Supreme Court here in this country, we have seen a number of uh, changes in relation to sentencing guidelines in relation to mandatory or presumptive sentencing, you know, and... One of the things is the, con- the inconsistency in relation to it and the discretion sometimes uh, that a lot of victims find rather disheartening. If you go to court in relation to a very serious, say, serious causing harm or thought or, or causing harm or, or in relation to rape, as Nolene was talking about there, you know, there is discretion. From the judges, dependent on the gravity of the crime and the proportionality, and all of that, taken into consideration, the background of the the offender, uh, the uh, the Supreme Court decision in relation to uh, where a person uh, admits their guilt at a, a and is contrite, has no previous convictions. All of these things mm-hmm. are taken into consideration. But what? Uh, the disadvantage for victims is a lot of victims wouldn't know all of the th-
2: course the and that's and I I think Ruth is is spot on about that. Like it, yeah. you know. <sighs> Finding the time, you know, it was it, the time has to be found by somebody, some one of the stakeholders to in, inform people going through the system of what's involved. Just when, when you talk about the states, Christy, I was, you know, I was just looking into some of the, the the research on it this morning because you know you've you've a lot of the the large um, states in America that where mandatory sentences yeah. have been introduced. Like they say, the crime rate was actually it, it's been it has been little affected.
0: Well, the, what the, the big problem about. then is is the cost. A few of somebody in America who you have three strikes, and you go and it's a life sentence. Literally a life sentence, and that can be for a many. Minim- I mean, they have still. We used to have felonies and misdemeanors here, where we have they have still a felonies, uh, different categories of felonies and misdemeanors for somebody who might be caught for a third time, might have uh, stolen a small quantity of something, you know, because they were hungry. Mm-hmm. Uh, could get a life sentence. I mean, that's as And that's far one as of it. the
2: points I think that the penal, you know, the, the Irish penal yeah. reform were, were making, yeah. you know, about this in terms of what they describe as the disadvantages of mandatory sentencing or the potential for injustice.
0: Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. Brought to you by Avant Money. Weekdays at midday on News Talk.
2: You were continuing the uh, discussion around the comments from the Irish Penal Reform Trust earlier today that mandatory sentencing, that it's a blunt tool to address crime. And we were chatting to, to Ruth and Nolene Blackwell, uh, Roots a victim advocate, uh, Christy, a former Garda Sergeant, to get their thoughts on whether or not you think mandatory sentencing is a deterrent. Joe was on the line. Joe, do you think it's a deterrent?
0: Are you there, Andrea? Good. Are you there?
2: Yes, I can hear you, Joe. You can yeah. hear me, all right. You can. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I just took you off speaker there. Uh, my point is, uh, if, with mandatory sentences, uh, unless you abolish suspended sentences, you know, that's that's the a bigger uh, battle, from what I can see, you know. But r- with regard to mandatory sentences for assaults on Gardaí and nurses, and stuff, there definitely should be mandatory sentences.
2: Yeah, with, spe- with specifically regards suspended. to. Frontline workers and that, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, look what's going on with the nurses there. You know, yeah, it's, it's, uh, uh, and they're getting away with uh, with suspended sentences. You know, okay. So you think, you
2: think you think you should you shouldn't have suspe- suspended sentences? I, Just I if, would
0: abolish them altogether, right. Except for uh, minor offences and non-violent.
2: Okay. Sentence, you know. Chris is with us as well. Chris, do you think mandatory sentences sentencing works as a deterrent, you know, to somebody committing a crime?
0: Well, I think it would if we handled it properly. Now, I, th- I think
3: if we actually had a mandatory minimum sentence for a crime that the judge can't go below, then somebody will know that, again, like your, your last caller there, that um, for certain crimes you can't, you won't then be allowed to give a suspended sentence. So if you if you have a minimum that the judge cannot go below, then you, you it's it's going to be more severe, and it also then tells the victims that we we actually do care about them because at the at the moment our system cares more about the person who's committing the crime than it than it does about the victims. But it, if if a victim has gone into the court knowing that is this specific crime, the person is going to jail. It's just a it's just a matter of how much time they're going to spend in jail. Mm-hmm.
2: And that, um, that, that that's the point, I suppose, Ruth, isn't it? That you're, you know, that you've been making like it's about talking to people that they that they're aware of this when they're going through the court's process.
3: Yeah, well, it also depends on what kind of mental space you are in at the time as well. Like, you know, there is so much information you have to try and absorb. You know, like you're going to court, you know, you don't actually know what he's going to be sentenced at all. And as a victim going through it, I remember thinking, what if he gets off? You know, what if he's found not guilty? Although that was never going to happen, but it it was Mm. still there. Like you are only a witness sitting there the whole way through a trial and just hoping that the end result will see him behind bars for a very long time
2: Do you know Chris made the point there Chris was you know Chris said that he feels that the system is very much centered around um th- th- you know the, it is, yeah. you know the, the, the victim isn't at the center of it like when you when you think back I'm sure you don't have to think that far back it's probably with you Ruth all of the time but would you agree with Chris on that
3: yeah well it's not called the criminal justice system for nothing it's not the victim's justice system at all. Like, you you are only part of the process. That's That's all you are. Like, when they caught him after my attack, like, all they were waiting for was another attack. And it happened to be that it took five times before he was caught. So, little did I know that this would happen to me, but I know the other side, the detectives, were fully expecting it to happen again. Mm. So... You know, you're going about your business and when you know, you're know you attacked like that, you, you don't see the bigger picture. I wouldn't have been aware in the beginning of how serious a case this was. And then as time went on, even still, I sometimes have to take a breath and go, just did that really happen? Did all of that really happen? Mm-hmm. It's only now that we're on year seven that... Sure, another appeal was just rejected there two weeks ago, so I'm not sure if there's another one in the pipeline, but the final okay. sentencing only came like in October. So that has gone on and on oh, for the whole seven right. years. So it's only a sense of kind of freedom that's coming now from us. Mm.
2: And every day, you know, Ruth, that must be, sure. I'm sure it's so hard to get away from.
3: Now, well, I have something on at the end of the month that I have to write notes for, and I've been flat out the past two days trying to write notes, and it's Really, really painful, the cramps in my hand. I just have to stop now, everything's still laid on the table and it's like I'll get back to that next week. My my hand isn't able for anything yeah, like that. Because you really, had physical injuries
2: you know, from freshballs. From, for 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 listeners that aren't aware of your case, like in the aftermath of the attack, you you, you were you were left with, with physical um injuries still that are with you?
3: Yeah. His yeah. knife severed the tendons on three of my fingers, so I had several reattachments and no, my my hand really doesn't work much at all. And then last year I was in the kitchen, I'd just come back from being abroad and I had jet lag. I was cooking my first meal and didn't I slice the top of my index finger on my other hand. So I don't have the full feeling on the top yes. of that finger either. So I'm quite limited. But I just mm. take my time every day in mm. what I do. And if it's tiring, it is tiring. Absolutely. But that is what it is, you know.
2: Yeah, um, it's, Lynn is in touch with this too. Lynn is on the line as well. Lynn, we're, we're talking about mandatory sentencing. Do, do you think it works? It would work as a deterrent? Do you think to somebody committing a crime?
4: Um, I, I it's just, it's so hard. I, I'm listening to Ruth. and am like, and my heart's broken for her, and I can't mm-hmm. understand how we're spending so much time, you know, talking about like recidivism and you know would mandatory sentencing work as a deterrent and these things I, I, I just look at that and I think you know what about what about just justice for victims and how they feel I mean I'm sure every victim would want what happened to them to never happen to anybody else but I'm also fairly sure that they would want to know that the person who attacked them is going to get punished for what they've done it's it's so upsetting you know um I obviously can only speak as a young woman, but it's very difficult in Ireland. It feels like very frequently we see, you know, cases where um, the either suspended sentences are passed down or people are given fines or, you know, it just seems to kind of be a slap on the wrist. And I don't understand how how we don't care more about the safety of, you know, women and how we don't treat violent crimes as seriously as, I feel and I'm sure many people feel they should be treated. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand that the person who attacked Ruth um, has a very long sentence, but, and, you know, thank God. But I mean, there are people all over the country who don't have long sentences mm-hmm. or who get sentenced to a couple of months. or mm-hmm. And it's not because, you know, the things taken into consideration are because they have certain disabilities or because they have drug addictions. It's You know, it, it doesn't seem to make any sense. and And I don't understand either why... I mean, why should the onus be on the victim to try and understand how long or otherwise their their attacker or the person who, who hurt them or committed a crime against them might get? It should be okay, might get, if this is what happened to you yeah, exactly. Or should, should get or will get and, and you know, and,
2: and what happens exactly. if this or the other mitigating factor is taken into account and at what time they plea, you know, the, the what plea they put in or how, you know, when that happened and, and the whole lot is taken into consideration. Look, it's... it's um, it's it's very difficult and I and I understand that and and Ruth I, I thank you for for joining us as well today and I know you know reliving it um, I suppose as well to a certain extent but even just chatting about your experience with us too on the program I, I do appreciate it uh, Ruth Maxwell who's a victims advocate and um, obviously has you know gone through this experience uh, Nolan Blackwell Christy and um, to all of the listeners there that got in touch Lynn as well thanks a million for your time on the program today.